So we're doing a uh, Sunday School series on the uh, what are called the incommunicable attributes of God. It comes from the Latin word. Everything comes from Latin in theology. Communicare, which means to share. So the communicable attributes are those attributes, those um, traits of God that we share with Him. Um, and then the incommunicable attributes are those uh, traits of God that makes Him utterly distinct. Um, there's a phrase that comes up repeatedly in Scripture, so there is none like Him, right? And so we're looking at that. Um, and the reason why I, I really wanted to do this series on the incommunicable attributes of God is because um, in theology we talk about uh, two aspects of God. We talk about His um, transcendence and His eminence. Who can tell me very quickly what is transcendence and what is eminence? His far awayness and his nearness. That's right. So transcendence means um, that God is above and beyond and greater than us. His eminence is his nearness, his intimacy, his closeness to us. And we tend to um, think mostly about God's eminence, right? We think about how uh, he draws near to us as a father. Uh, we think about his tenderness. We think about his warmth. That is all true. <laughs> um, but it is also equally true, at the same time true, that he is transcendent. That he, is, he lives in unapproachable light. Uh, we remember that passage in Isaiah chapter 6, right? The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah being a very learned um, and a devout man, a righteous man, he comes before the throne room of God and he falls apart. He realizes that in the presence of God, um, what a sinful and unrighteous man he is. Uh, and so God is transcendent. Um, so we're looking at that. We're looking at uh, God being above us in power, glory, majesty. And a key element of his transcendence is that um, perhaps the key is that he is infinite. We've been, we've been looking at that, right? The word infinite comes from the Latin word again, finis. What does finis mean? Huh? The end. The end, finished, right, good. Um, I think it's a musical notation, right? Like, it appears, yes? I don't know, okay. Fini <laughs> is the musical notation. That's Latin, that's uh, Italian? I don't know. Okay. I'll just stay in theology. <laughs> so, finis means, uh, it's Latin for end. Um, and it just simply, so, so we are finite, right? Um, that means we have an end to our capacities, we have an end to our knowledge, we have an end to um, our power, our wisdom, um, so that we can be measured, right? Uh, but God has no end. There is no end to his power. There is no end to his greatness and strength and wisdom. And that means he is without bounds. He is without limits. And today we're focusing particularly on how he is um, without uh, limits res with respect to time. Okay? So this is going to cook your noodle, I, I, I promise you. So let's read the first passage, Revelation Chapter 1, Tracy, can you read that for us? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was 
uh, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Yes. So Alpha and Omega, who can tell me quickly what Alpha and Omega are? The first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Yes, that's right. So what is God saying? He's saying that, um, I mean, what is this verse saying, right? It's saying on, on, on one level, at the beginning level, that God is present in all time periods, right? He's there in the past, he's there in the future, and he's in the present. Um, but it's saying something more than that. It's saying something even deeper than that because it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Notice God doesn't say, I was at the Alpha of time and I will be at the Omega of time, right? So that if we think of time, um, God's not simply saying, well, you know, I was here, and I was here, and I'm everywhere in between. He is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, meaning I don't have a beginning, I don't have an end, so that time... Time is within God, right? Um... Uh, God is not confined to time, but God is above and greater than time, right? Um, let's read the next verse. Anna, can you, can you read Psalm 90? Before the mountains were brought forth, forever you have come to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting Yeah, the imagery is wonderful. Before the mountains were brought forth, uh, mountains being the greatest, most uh, impressive um, geological feature that you see, they, they, they are timeless, seemingly. Um, they never change, they never move. Even before the creation of the world, the text tells us God is everlasting to everlasting. So I, would, I just want to focus in on that phrase, everlasting to everlasting. You see that phrase about a dozen times in the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word there for everlasting is olam, which means, olam means, it can either mean a really long duration of time, or um, it can mean uh, time that just goes on and on and on. It's just another way to say forever, right? Um, so the word, the translation here, everlasting, is a great translation. It lasts forever. But it says, it doesn't just say God is everlasting. It says God is Olam ad olam. He is everlasting to everlasting. And what that means in that expression, what that expression is trying to capture is that God is unbound by time. That God is eternal. Alright, so let's, let's think about this for a moment. Because the word eternal actually doesn't appear in scripture. Um, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, Um, the word is either olam, which means long time, long duration, or forever. In Greek, it's aeon, which is where we get the English word eon, um, long ages again. Um, but when they're sort of trying to combine these, they're, they're trying to use normal language to capture a concept that is truly beyond us, which is everlasting to everlasting, which is God is eternal. Um, eternal means unlimited by time, above time, beyond time, versus temporal, right? And we are temporal creatures, meaning we are in time. We experience time. We are limited by time. And when we say God is not that, 
we have no idea what we're talking about. Um, in theology, particularly when we're talking about God's incommunicable attributes, we can't talk about what it is. We can only talk about what it is not, right? Theology by negation, right? And, and because we have no, we don't know what it feels like to be eternal. We don't understand the experience of eternalness. And so let's try. <laughs> so let's try through negation. So let's talk about what it means to be temporal, right? So if you think about human beings, we human beings are time-bound creatures. So let's look at let's look let's let's create a timeline for ourselves. Here's the past. Here's the future. Here's the present. All right. So the past has already happened. We cannot change the past, right? Um, let's say the past was five seconds ago. Um, we can remember the past. Um, the closer the past is to us, the more um, accurate maybe our memory is of it. But we have no, even if we regret it, right? Even if I were to trip and fall, and then I just play it over in my mind again and again, filled with regret and remorse and shame, I cannot go back to that moment and change it. It has happened. It is set in stone. There is no reversing it, right? So we're limited. Um, the only thing we can do to the past, uh, the only access that we have to the past is memory. And of course, our memory is very spotty, right? Like we remember vivid events in the past, but mundane or like um, trivial events we quickly forget and then the further back we go the more like our memory our memory plays tricks on us there's a lot of uh, research done in terms of the human psychology of memory um the only thing we have power over is the present right now is the present and i can choose to act on the present i choose to stop my foot <laughs> So I can I can I can exert my will upon the present, but I cannot exert my will upon the past. Okay, all of this you guys are saying, duh, right? We're all like fish, and we're just talking about water, right? I mean, so it's all intuitive. I, I, I'm saying this because because by negation we're going to understand what God is experiencing and doing. Now, what is our access to the future? We have no access to the future, right? We cannot see the future. And we certainly cannot act on the future. We have to wait until it becomes present, meaning we're always stuck in the present, right? We can speculate. We can forecast. Um, I'll put the word guess here. Um, five minutes from now, I can say with some degree of probability what it'll look like. It'll probably look like this. <laughs> um, but the further the future the further into the future, the more our ability to forecast diminishes. Like, we have no idea what this room is going to look like a year from now, 20 years from now, 300 years from now, right? Our ability begins to diminish. Um, and the other point I want to make here is that we experience time sequentially. So we experience it moment by moment. This moment, we're in it. This moment, we're experiencing it. This moment, okay, now we can interact with it. I mean, does that make sense? We're always in time, we're always in the moment, and we're experiencing it sequentially. Now, God is eternal, right? He is 
Olam ad Olam. He is everlasting to everlasting. So what that means is that there is no past and there is no future for God. He's not limited by this timeline, right? He doesn't have a past. He doesn't have a future. And every moment in the timeline is present for God. Um, the reason is because God can act on every time period. You and I can only act upon the present. God can act upon every moment in time, which means that there is no past, right? God doesn't have to remember the past. In other words, right now it's 2016 for us, right? The year 2016. So we think that's some sort of like absolute um Absolute marker, it's not 2016 for God, right? God sees and experiences, and in the way that we see and experience 2016, he's experiencing 1776. He's watching the Declaration of Independence, right? Um, he can see 2050, the year 2050. Um, he can see and experience 1000 BC, right? So all time is equally accessible to God. That's what it means that he's not limited. Like we're limited to the past and we're limited with respect to the future. There is no future for God. There is no past for God. It is all equally present. Um, he doesn't remember the past, right? Like like five minutes ago, like, oh yeah, that happened. Um, nothing that could be done about the past five minutes. I wish I was clear five minutes ago. Oh, well. <laughs> um, but there is no experience like that for God. He is, every moment, God is there. And he's, it's accessible to God. And so all time is equally vivid and present for God. He's experiencing all time const- as an ever-constant present. He's constantly... Um, I'm repeating myself now, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to get the point across, right? Um, so let's go to the next passage. And, and then um, I think there's some implications here. Second uh, Peter 3, 8. So Becky, can I have you read this? But the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one Yeah, so let's think about this, right? Remember I said that God is above time. There is no past for God. There is no pre- there's no future for God. In fact, God is above time, and all time is equally present, right? There is no 2016 for God. Well, there is, but it isn't like it is for us, right? Um, so let's think about this. A thousand years is as one day. So God doesn't feel the passage of time, right? Like we feel the passage of time. If I told you, um, guess what? Service is going to be five hours. <laughs> Some of you might groan. The, those of you who are devout and love the Lord will say, hooray. <laughs> um, but you will say, wow, five hours. What are we going to do for five hours, right? And we feel the length of time. And a lot of the length of time that we feel is the waiting of it, right? Like we feel time more if we have to just sit in a room and do nothing, right? So we're waiting for some event. Um, and in fact, a great expanse of time is really daunting to experience. You know, if I told you, um, I want you to go into a room, I want you to quietly meditate for two weeks without talking to anybody, you'd be like, wow, you know, how is this possible? You know, um, 
But because God doesn't have to wait, right? He experiences all moments of time equally constant. There is no waiting, and therefore there is no passage of time for God. He doesn't experience time sequentially or moment by moment, and therefore a thousand years is as a day. Does that make sense? The, according to cosmologists, the universe is 14 billion years. Those 14 billion years is like that for God. Because he doesn't experience time. All 14 billion years, he's constantly processing and seeing and understanding. The next statement, one day is as a thousand years. Because all time is ever present before God, each second therefore stretches into infinity. Does that make sense? So we experience one moment and then it's done. Our access to that moment is only now with respect to our memory. But we don't get to experience that moment forever. We only get to experience the moment for the moment. But because there is no passage of time for God, all time is equally present. All time is constantly being um, experienced by God. Each second, therefore, God is experiencing forever. Right? So every moment... Every second of every of, of, of time, God is looking at it, and he's thinking about it. He's reflecting upon it. He understands that moment forever and ever and ever from all perspectives, from all angles, right? And therefore, one day is as a thousand years to God. Um, so when Peter's saying, Peter's here is quoting Psalm 102, um, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. He's trying to let us know. He's trying to tell us God is eternal. Right? There's no, again, there's no Greek word for eternal. So he's trying to use, you know, human language to capture this, this concept. Any questions before we, we, we go on? Yes. Yeah, I mean, so Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so he created this physical universe, this finite universe, finite creatures, and a function of that creation is time. So he created time, right? Um, which I, I, I know nothing about the hard sciences, right? So, But we know that uh, space and time are interconnected, interwoven. So, so there was uh, time was created as well. So God existed before there was time. Um, God has always existed. I, I remember Judah asked me in the car, "Well, who created God?" Wow, that's a very good question, Judah. <laughs> no one created God. God was always there, and Judah was a bit puzzled. How can that be? Yes, now you understand. <laughs> um, so God doesn't need time, right? Because he doesn't, uh, time is not a substrate that he sort of swims around in. It's, it's very difficult for us to understand God is above time. But he created time because time is how finite creatures like you and me operate. We cannot operate without time. Right? Does that answer your question? Now you understand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's an illustration that uh, I thought the most helpful. Um, John Calvin, I believe, came up with it. He says that um, imagine time is a river, right? So here's this windy river. Um, uh, 
Here's a windy river. And here's a mountaintop. And there's an observer on the mountaintop. And then you are on a boat on the river. And on the river, you can only sort of see a little bit ahead, but you can't see beyond the next bend. So you can't see how the landscape changes. You can't see all the waterfalls and all the adventures. But you're, you're stuck on that one place in the river. But God is the observer on the mountain. And he can see the whole river. And he can see every stage of the river. And he can see where you are at every point. And you can see God observing you. And that's what God is like. God is this observer of time, right? Even that analogy is a little bit flawed because God is not passively observing. He is interacting. He is acting upon time. Um, so the question that comes up a lot of times people ask is, okay, so if God is eternal, will we join him in his eternalness in heaven? Will we be, will we have, will we be eternal creatures? Um, and the answer is no. You should know that because, uh, the concept of eternal again is a feature of God alone. Only God is above time. Doesn't scripture talk about eternal life? So remember this, okay? Um, there is no word eternal. That, 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 that's, that's a medieval philosophical concept. Um, it's just simply saying that we will have everlasting life, right? We will have life that will never end. We will live forever and ever, okay? Which itself is mind-boggling. But um, as finite creatures, and we will always be finite creatures, always. We will never be God. As finite creatures, we will always live in time. We will always be bound by time. And we will always experience time sequentially. So that when we join, when we're in the presence of God, in the new heavens and the new earth, time will go, time will continue to exist. Does that make sense? So let me just draw a timeline. So this is creation. This is the end of human history. So we can say end of uh, history. When Jesus returns, the king returns, um, all evil and injustice is overthrown, um, uh, righteousness is uh, restored, and then this is the new heavens and the new earth, and this will go on forever. Now, let me just help you to think about this, right? Because I said God can see all time simultaneously. So he sees the whole past, um, he sees the forever future. And I want us to think about the forever future. <laughs> because when we're in the new heavens and the new earth, we will again experience time moment by moment. So there will, be, there will come a time when we will cross the, the one million year mark, right? I don't know if we'll keep time, you know, the solar you know, calendar. But please bear with me in this exa- illustration, okay? So we will cross the one million mark. And those million years will not be like that. It will be a million years. We will experience it second by second, moment by moment. Okay? And then after a million years, it'll be like we've just begun. It was nothing. And then there'll be a moment when we've experienced a billion years. And again, that billion years won't be like that. It'll be a thousand million years. And after a billion years, we'll reflect back. And our time on Earth will seem... It will be incredibly consequential, but it will be, seem so small, so tiny. Why do we worry about all of these little things? Here we are, a billion years before the presence of God in eternal happiness. So be it. 
A billion years will be like nothing compared to where we're going, just the beginning. It'll be billions upon billions upon billions of years forever into the future. Now, God, being eternal, being infinite in power, wisdom, knowledge, he sees all time simultaneously, including the forever future. How is that possible? We cannot understand it, but this is our God. He sees the forever future. He sees every moment, all of it equally accessible. And so uh, the, the other thing I want to say is that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will constantly change and grow. So when we come before, when, when we're uh, with Jesus, when we're with God, we're not going to become static beings. We're going to constantly grow. Now, why is that? Um, if, you, if you go back to Genesis, if you go to the garden, God gives uh, Adam and Eve this commission, right? He says, I want you to um, cultivate the earth. I want you to uh, develop it, name all the creatures, have dominion, right? Uh, multiply and fill the earth. And so that commission will go on forever and ever. We will constantly be building the city of God, the new Jerusalem. We'll constantly be discovering new things, things that we didn't know. Um, again, God is infinitely deep, infinitely rich, infinitely wonderful. So constantly we'll be saying, wow, God, I didn't know, but now I know. A million years ago, I had no idea, <laughs> right? Um, so we're constantly growing, and what allows us to grow is the, the, the passage of time, right? Time changes us, right? There, there, there's, a, there's a famous philosophical quote by Heraclitus that says, you never step into the same river twice, right? Oh, that's deep. Um, so, <laughs> so every moment will change, but will change in, in, in greater holiness, greater... Um, I don't know greater holiness, but greater um, uh, uh, understanding, greater development. But because God doesn't experience time, and because all time is equally accessible, including the forever future, therefore God is unchanging. God does not change. How can he change? How did, when does he ever experience something new? He never experiences anything new. When does he learn something new? He never learns anything new, because he sees it all. He's staring at every second forever, Right? Um, so his unchanged, his immutability, which we're going to talk about at greater length next week, is connected to his eternalness, and God is all-knowing, which we're going to talk about his omniscience um, as well. Now, before I go into the implications, including predestination, um, controversy, uh, any questions before we move on? Sure. Yes, Jeff, or no, Warren. <laughs> I saw his hand, I heard your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in terms of, are they above time as no. well? And are they eternal or everlasting when you see them? They are everlasting. Uh, God has created human souls to be everlasting. They will go on forever and ever and ever. Either in eternal damnation and torment, away from the love and presence of God, um, suffering uh, judgment and wrath, or uh, in the presence of God, living forever and ever before him, right? Um, the angels are the same as us in the sense that they're finite creatures. All creatures are finite, meaning they all have, they're all limited. They're all dependent, sustained by the creator. So they're not, they're, they, they don't have 
they, they're not eternal creatures like God is an eternal being. Does that make sense? Only God is eternal. Maybe another way to say it is only God is God. Okay, I understand that. Yeah. Only God is unlimited by time. So, only God is unbound by time. Will Christ be bound by time? Will oh. he be human? Will he be experiencing what we experience? I think that this, that's a very good question. Um, so in the incarnation, right? <laughs> You are not allowed to come to class anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can answer it later. No, 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 no. So uh, the incarnation does not mean that, that, that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, um, let go of his divinity. He let go of the prerogatives, the rights of his divinity, while he was uh, in the flesh. But he, he, he is still fully God, fully divine. That is also a mystery, right? Um, so Christ talks about all the time his ability to access the future. This is why he constantly says, you know, I see some things happening. This will happen. This will happen, right? Um, so Christ is eternal. There's a limit to it, right? What do you mean? He says that only the Father knows. Yeah, this is also a mystery where Jesus talks about limitations of his knowledge, right? Um, so the way theologians have resolved this problem is that he's speaking with respect to his humanity, but he's not speaking with respect to his divinity. What does that mean? I do not know. <laughs> what about it? You would be a nightmare in theology class. <laughs> this divinity you're talking about, we do participate in his divine nature. Am I correct to say that? Uh, in what way? Second Peter talks about participating in divine nature. Yeah, so we participate in the divine life, meaning we're brought into fellowship with him, we're communion with him. Um, one of the metaphors, one of the images that uh, Paul gives us is that we are the body of Christ. We are members, organs of his body. Christ is the head. So we are intimately, organically connected to him, but we will never be divine ourselves. Not divine, but we do participate in divine nature, or do we not? Um, so, I mean, the pro- part of the problem is that Scripture is not using what, what we would call medieval philosophical language. So when we say divine nature, we, we're talking about those things that belong properly only to God. His omniscience, his omnipotence, um, his eternalness, and those things will forever only be God's. Okay, so your explanation of what Paul... Uh, Peter was saying is different than what you're saying now. The two different things. Explain. Oh, I'm, I'm just saying your explanation is that it only belongs to God. Yeah. But then when Peter's talking about that, we will part. I don't know. I have to read it, but we participate in divine nature. That's a different thing. That's that's is that what you're saying. Yeah. So a lot of times, scriptural language is is it's different than what we theological or medieval philosophical language. Does that make sense? So I'm, right now I'm operating in medieval philosophical language to help us understand. We're, ma- we're parsing in, or- in order for us to grasp what does it mean for God to be eternal. Okay. Jeff, did you have a question? I, I guess my question is, uh, it just seems curious that the few years that we have on Earth determines the billions of years after this, right? Mm. But consequential. Yeah. Why are they so consequential relative to all the other ones? Um... You could say that, you know, Adam's test in the garden was 
consequential for all of human history, but it was very, very short. I don't know if the duration of the test um, has to be proportionate to the consequence of the test. Um, I don't know if that helps. Do you think, so I guess one way that I think about it is that this is the only time where we don't know exactly who God is, so we have to make a choice based on, but that once we are with him, then there's not really a choice to be made because it's obvious. So there's a kind of that, I don't know, maybe it's a C.S. Lewis kind of idea, but that if you knew too much, you wouldn't really have a choice. Um, yes, God in his eternal wisdom has decided to cloak himself in the here and now, right? Um, he has given us sufficient knowledge, um, uh, sufficient evidence, sorry, to know him in Jesus Christ through scripture. But he, he hasn't made it, um, uh, he hasn't made it su- such that um, there is no possible way that we can squeeze out of it. So he allows us to deceive ourselves for the time being. But there will be no deception, although one could think that those who are in eternal damnation will be forever deceived. Right? They'll forever think this is a raw deal. Um, I'm, I'm not getting a fair treatment. All right, so let's go on. Because you're talking about choice. Do we have a choice? Let's think. Um, number one, God's forgiveness encompasses all future sins. So if we think about the fact that God is eternal, he sees your entire life stretched out before him. And what that means is that God knows us, in fact, better than we even know ourselves. Um, he sees us at our birth. He sees us as a toddler. Uh, I don't know if you know, there's something called um, toddler or early childhood amnesia. Have you ever heard of this? Um, once I explain it to you, you'll be like, okay. <laughs> uh, before the ages of four and five, uh, adults have very, very little access to what happened. Um, maybe just impressions. Very, very strong memories, usually traumatic memories, right? Unfortunately, a lot of times people's first memories is a bad memory. Um, so it's kind of a clear wipe. We're not completely sure why. There's some sort of cognitive reason why the, 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 the brain basically does like a reboot, right? Your memories are wiped out, which is really funny because Judah and Noah, they vividly remember six months ago, a year ago. But when they're 10, when they're 12, they're not going to remember 98% of their childhood. So we don't have access to this huge portion of who we are. God sees every moment. He sees everything we've done. He sees our death. He sees what we're going to be like when we're 60, when we're 50. And therefore, when God extended his grace and forgiveness to you, he saw all of your deeds, including all of your future deeds. And therefore, God's forgiveness is total. When you sin, a lot of times you're shocked. You're dismayed at your capacity to do evil. I experienced this recently. Um, I think two years ago, I did something that I thought was kind of shocking for me. I sabotaged one of my friends um, out of jealousy. Um, I don't want to go too much into the details, lest you shake your head and, and <laughs> condemn me. But after I did it, I was surprised at my capacity for this evil. I was like, I didn't know that I'm such a person. But I am such a person. I just didn't know it. It just required the right circumstances, the right pressures. And then so it is. It came out. God sees all of my future sins. You cannot outsend the love of God. Do you think you surprise him? 
you do not. Um, second uh, implication, there is no plan B. We are always right in the middle of God's good and wise plan for us. A lot of times you have this experience, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake and now I've forever ruined God's plan. I, I, I'm out of God's plan. This is not the way he intended life for me to be. But remember, there is no plan B with God because all time, right? For us, the future seems unwritten because it is unwritten from our perspective. The future seems therefore wide open. It's like this decision tree. But it's not like that for God. God sees the future already. There is no future for God. He sees it all already. And therefore, you're always right in the middle of God's good and wise plan. And his good and wise plan includes your mistakes and your sins. Um, this concept, this, 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 this doctrinal truth has been a deep comfort to me. Because I am making mistakes all the time. I make big time, little time mistakes daily, right? Uh, monthly. And every time I make a mistake, I think, oh no, it's going to ruin things. And then I just tell myself, well, I have a great piece, a, a, a great um, amount of peace because I just tell myself this is this too is part of God's plan. If it goes this way, if it goes that way, if 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 something terrible happens, this is the way it was supposed to be. Now, that doesn't absolve me from my mistake. I should reflect on my mistake and repent of my mistake and try to not make mistakes. But there's a great verse where Joseph says to his brothers, right? Remember, I mean, think about Joseph. He's like, oh, if I just hadn't gone to see. My brothers, just at that moment, my whole life wouldn't have been ruined. Go to Egypt as a slave, spend time in prison as an unjust prisoner. Joseph doesn't think like that. What does he say to his brothers? He says, you meant it for evil. Right? He doesn't absolve them of their, evil, of their wickedness, but he says, God meant it for good. It was all for good, for his glory, for my ultimate happiness. Number three, God's eternalness means we are predestined. Um, now, the doctrine of predestination, uh, for me, um, uh, is driven mostly by the fact that um, we cannot choose God of our own free will because our wills are bound by sin. We're clouded in our judgment. We will always choose uh, uh, evil and death and, uh, and away from God's presence of our own nature. Therefore, God must intervene in our hearts and change our hearts. So that, in my mind, that's the driver of predestination. But there's another way to go to, uh, to arrive at predestination, which is the fact that God is eternal. If God is eternal, we must therefore be predestined because God sees all time. So it has already happened. There is no future, right? God is not like in 2016 and you're evangelizing to your friend. He's like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, can I, can I nudge things in the right direction? You know, I don't know. Ooh, cliffhanger. There is no cliffhanger for God. He knows, and since God has ordained all things, God is the author of history, God is the author of time, it is already written. It is already predetermined, predestined. And even if we say, oh, you know, if, if God is some sort of passive actor, if he knows the future, you know, knowing all the future gives him enormous power to influence things, right? Like, if you think about your own conversion, there were all these little incidental circumstantial moments that came about so that you came to accept Christ. How did all those things come to be, if not from God? Well, let me not just argue it, argue into a corner with logic and philosophy. Let's turn to scripture. Um, Ephesians 1, let me just read it to you guys. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, listen. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we're going to return to that, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, right, according to his ordaining, right, he, he, he ordains all things to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So if you go back to verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? It means before God created time-space continuum, right? Before God created the universe, we were in his mind. Remember, uh, before time began, before we were even created, um, before the 14 billion years ago there was a Big Bang, we were in his mind because he sees everything, right? And he chose us. He says, you are my beloved child. You are my precious son. You are my precious daughter. I'm going to rescue you. Um, the fact that God is eternal and therefore the implications of that is so disturbing that people don't like it, so they try to get out of it. And so there's something called open theism, right? And open theism is sort of like a solution to the problem of God's eternalness um, making it predestination, open have anyone has anyone heard open theism? It was really popular like ten years ago. I'm not sure if it still has a lot of uh, saliency, but basically, open theism says that God doesn't know the future. He's like us. God is in time. He's in 2016. He's white knuckling through history, wondering what's going to happen, right? Um, and that preserves our freedom because God cannot bind us. God cannot uh, predestine us. But classical theology says that. It cannot be. God has ordained all things. Time is written, already written, and therefore the ultimate decision of salvation lies with God, not with us. How can we, how can we be the ultimate decider when before the beginning of time, God has already decided the matter? We didn't even exist. Molecules didn't even exist. Matter didn't even exist. And God had already decided the matter. Any questions before we go to number four? Unless your question is number four. I'm anticipating one of your questions. All right, number four. So this is the big objection. It, wait, wait, wait. If time is already written, are we fated? Right? Do we even have time? I think we should just dismiss the class. <laughs> All right, let me answer the question. All right. Um, so this is, in, in theology, this is called the paradox of double agency. So agency is uh, your freedom to exert your will, right? Um, agency is when um, you can decide for yourself what you want to do. By the way, um, if you don't have agency, it's very, very painful. Let's say you're in a job, <laughs> and your boss pretty much tells you everything you have to do, gives you no freedoms. You hate that job, right? So agency is very important. We need agency. So do we have agency? Can we decide for ourselves? If time is already written, right, am I not fated? Like, was I not fated to drop that marker? Yes, right, because it was already written. Well, the answer is that it's a paradox. It's both. The Bible affirms that God is totally in charge of history. He has ordained everything that has come to pass. 
everything is already all predetermined. And human beings have agency. We are not robots. We are not marionette puppets. Um, but we are fully responsible for our moral actions. It's on us. So classic example, so many examples of this, but Pharaoh, right? Hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Exodus 8, um, can I have, where, where are we? Edward, can I have you read the two verses? When Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart, heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Yeah, so chapter 8 says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. He decided. Why didn't he let the slaves go? Because he was stubborn. He decided, I'm not going to let the slaves go. Chapter 9 says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God made it so that Pharaoh wouldn't release the slaves, so that he might display his power. In fact, it's a very famous passage. It alternates back and forth, back and forth. God, God hardened, Pharaoh hardened. So what does that mean? It's a paradox. We cannot resolve it. If you're, by the way, if you're uncomfortable with paradox, Christianity is not the religion for you. Um, paradoxes everywhere. Um, so what that means is that from the divine perspective, it is all written. From the human perspective, it is as if it is not written. I don't know if that makes sense. Augustine has a great statement. He says, um, he says, I pray as if it all depends on God, and then I act as if it all depends on me. I think that's a very good way to capture it. Right? Like, uh, you have a, let's say you have a DMZ, te- a DMV test, right? Um, should you study? Isn't it already foreordained? It is foreordained. It is predestined. Should you study, therefore? You should study. <laughs> um, because you are responsible. It depends upon you. But it is also in God's plan, right? So if you fail, fear not. You will ride the bar every day, but it is in part of God's good and wise plan. The um, best illustration I've ever heard to explain this is think about reading a novel. So let's say you're reading a gripping novel, right? You're reading Harry Potter, and you're reading about Voldemort, and you're angry at him. Oh, he's so villainous. How could he go after children? Terrible. And then you're like, wait a minute. J.K. Rowling wrote Voldemort. I'm really mad at J.K. Rowling. Do you say that to yourself? Ooh, J.K. Rowling, I'm so mad at you. No, you're mad at Voldemort. Why? Because Voldemort, the, the villainous character within the story, is responsible for his own moral actions. And yet you also know that the author wrote the story. So it's both. Um, this is, illustration is limited because basically God is greater than any human author and human beings are greater than any character in a book. But it kind of gives you the dynamic um, I'm not sure if I captured it well. Any questions? Any comments? I finished early too. <laughs> yes, Tiffany. Mm-hmm. evangelize to them, but then 
What if they were predestined never to believe? Yeah. So you don't know. And therefore, because you do not know, as Augustine's prayer says, you pray as if it all depends on God, but you act as if it all depends on you. And so uh, God's predestination does not preclude or does not exclude the means, meaning you, right? As, as Paul says in Romans, how shall they be saved if no one goes and tells them, right? How, 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 how will someone go to tell them if they don't go there, right? So, um, you, so it's going to be through ordinary means. God no longer acts through miraculous interventions like angels. So the angel Gabriel is not going to come to your friend Right and give them the book of Moran. I mean, um, <laughs> reveal uh, truth and revelation to them. So, so it depends on you. So if you choose not to tell your friend, then it's on you, and maybe your friend will not believe. Um, but the reason why predestination should give you great, great comfort is that if you've ever, ever talked to somebody who is an unbeliever, you will reach a point where you will say this. It's impossible. There's no way. Um, their heart is so hard. They're so proud. They're so unaware of their need for Christ. How can it be? I'm going to give up. This is why predestination is a doctrine of enormous comfort. Because what does it mean? It means that God is uh, God is divine. He is the author of history and human hearts. He can change their heart. So you pray, God, please change their heart. Um, the story of how my sister came to believe in Christ. Very, I always tell myself, or I always tell people, the fact that my sister became a Christian, in my mind, is a proof of Christianity. Because she was like the least, least likely person to believe in Jesus, deeply cynical, deeply angry with God. And now she's an ardent believer. She's a passionate believer. How did this happen? Miracle. Predestination is basically, the doctrine of predestination means you believe in miracles. The miracle of God intervening in human hearts. If you don't believe in predestination, you don't believe in miracles. Did I say it too hardly, too, too, too starkly? It's true though. Um, uh, so, final conclusion. Um, I hope that when you think about the, that God is eternal, it fills you with a sense of wonder, it fills you with a sense of awe, it fills you with a sense of reverence and fear of God. Who is this God right? that created us? He is far beyond us. He is infinite in wisdom. How can you ever say to God, God, you're ruining things? How can you say that? You, a finite, time-bound creature who lives only in the moment, only in this present, how can you say to God, you have no idea what you're doing? God knows deeply well what he's doing. So let's pray to him. Almighty God, we give you praise, we give you adoration, uh, we give you worship that you are filled with majesty and power and glory, that you are eternal. And so help us to trust you, help us to love you, help us to cry out and pray to you, asking you to intervene in our lives and in the lives of our friends. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.